Okay, there's a story told of an elderly couple that are sitting in church one day. As the pastor's preaching a message, the wife of the couple starts to notice that she has a terrible stomach ache, and because of that, she notices that she has some gas. So, after a while, it starts to get more uncomfortable for her, and so she finally looks at her husband and she says, Honey, I have such a bad stomach ache, and I have a lot of gas. I'm just so thankful that they're silent. What should I do? Her husband looks at her and says, Well, for starters, I'd get new batteries for your hearing aid. (laughs) You got to say that one's good. There's your joke of the day. I wasn't going to tell a joke today, but some of you get mad at me when I don't, when I don't give you your weekly joke, so that's, I want to keep you happy, so there you go. Well, today we're going to be starting a brand new series. It's going to take us up to, uh, to Easter. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident of that, um, based on the book of Ephesians that I'm calling Adulting. Ephesians is a great letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul that basically outlines the maturing process of a believer. Now, the story of Paul coming to the city of Ephesus is pretty interesting, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 19, but Ephesus was a huge city. At this time that this was written, it was the epicenter for worship for most of the the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a very effective ministry presence in Ephesus, and due to that, many people became followers of Jesus, directly related to Paul's ministry in the city. However, some of the Jews did not like the fact that he was preaching to the Gentiles because the Gentiles are getting saved, and so they tried to kill him. He's eventually arrested in Rome, but rather than being thrown into a prison, he's put on house arrest. So in other words, they made him quarantine. Imagine what that would be like to be quarantined in your house and you can't go anywhere. (laughs) It's a good thing we'll never know what that's like. (laughs) But while he's in Rome on house arrest, he wrote this letter to the people of Ephesus that he had won to Christ. The first half of the letter, chapters 1 through 3, Paul explains the story of the gospel. That's what we'll be talking about today. Second half of the letter, chapters 4 through 6, Paul explains how the gospel story should now affect how we live every part of our lives, how it should affect us personally, how it should affect our families, how it should affect us in our community. So let's get started. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to actually be reading the first 14 verses of this chapter today, then we're going to come back and we're going to break it down. Primarily, there's two things, or there's two things listed, same thought that I'm I'm going to focus on today, and I'll, I'll show you that. If you don't have your Bible or Bible app, you can follow up on the screens. If you need a Bible, we have them available for you at the Hub. They're free. You can go back. We have them in English and in Spanish, so please feel free to go grab one of those before you leave. Ephesians chapter 1, here we go. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. 
Now, verse 6, this is the first thing I want you to really focus on. He says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, which he promised long ago. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Now here it is. He did this, talking about salvation, he did this, so that we would praise and glorify Him. I'm calling this message the meaning of it all. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. God, I believe that this truth here that Paul is trying to, to explain is, is very relevant for us today and, and for those in the future. And, and God, it's truly this truth is a game changer for us if we would just grab hold of this. It's a hard truth. It's not something that we like to hear. And so, God, I just pray for the next few moments that you would anoint these words, that they would touch the ears of the people, that they would change the hearts of the people, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. And so, God, I just want to thank you for your anointing today. Thank you for your word and for your truth that has the power to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, a poll was taken, and the question was asked, what is the meaning of life? Have you, ever asked, have you ever asked that? Have you ever wondered that? What is the meaning of life? Of those that were polled in this survey, 61% of them said the main purpose of life is enjoyment and self-satisfaction. Of all of the answers given, 61% said enjoyment and self-satisfaction. So if you've ever seen Family Feud, this would be the top answer. 61 out of 100 people said this answer. Then you have all these other random answers that could be answered here. It wasn't a multiple choice where it's between this and another one. This is the top answer. Amazingly, 50% of individuals that identify as born-again Christians said the exact same thing. So that would tell me that 50%, half of the people sitting in this room, would say that the purpose of life is enjoyment and self-satisfaction. It seems like for a lot of people, both Christian and non-Christian alike, that the meaning of our existence is to enjoy life and to be satisfied and then just die. In other words, do what makes you happy. God wants you to be happy. Have you ever heard that phrase? Have you ever said that <laughs> to somebody? A few weeks ago, my wife and I were watching a reality show, and in this particular segment, there was this lady. She's having some trouble in her marriage. 
Her plan was to leave her husband, and she followed it up with these words. She said, God wants me to be happy, and I am not happy. So is this the meaning of life? Is the true meaning of life for us to be happy, enjoy life, and be satisfied? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like that's what God would want for us. But is it true? Is that the reason that we are here? Is that why God created us? Looking at the big picture, did God place us on this earth merely to enjoy this life and then be satisfied? Because according to the stats, most people believe that to be true, Christian or not. They believe that's why we're here. If you're familiar with American history, you may have heard about a woman by the name of Hetty Green. Hetty Green is in the Guinness Book of World Records as America's greatest miser. Now, a miser is one that is known to hoard wealth and spend as little as possible. My family would probably say that was me, but that's not. That was Hetty to, to the core. When she died in 1916, she left an estate value of more than $100 million. Now, $100 million is a lot today, but this was 1916. So if you adjust for, if you adjust for inflation, that $100 million would be the equivalent of $2.5 billion today. So she was extremely wealthy. But Hetty Green was so cheap that she ate cold oatmeal because it was too expensive to heat the water to warm it. True story. She wore one single dress every day and only replaced it when it was worn out. Kyla, I like that. <laughs> I like Hetty's philosophy. When she washed the dress, she would wash only the dirtiest parts of the dress to save money on soap. I'm liking this lady even more. She lived in an old rundown home, and many times she refused to turn on the heat. Her own son had a severe leg injury, but she had difficulty finding a free clinic to treat him, and she delayed so long he had to have his leg amputated. The story of Hetty Green is a sad one in the sense that she had more than enough resources available to live a life of great blessing, not only for herself, but she had enough resources to greatly impact the lives of the people around her. She could have left a big imprint on this world and made a huge difference, but instead this is how we remember her. And not only did she suffer, but those around her suffered as well. Now we hear a story like Hetty's and we think, how foolish why would somebody ever do something like that? But the truth be told, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us here in this room today, and he would see, I would even say a lot of people watching online, are guilty of this very thing. Not with practical wealth, so to speak. So to speak. I mean, I don't think anybody in here has an account with $2.5 billion in it. And if you do, I just feel like the Lord might be speaking for you to pay off the debt of the church. That would be wonderful. I mean, it's just a little less than $2 million, so it's small considering. I mean, big picture. Just pray about it. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, we're not guilty on the physical wealth side of the spectrum, but we are guilty on the spiritual wealth that has been entrusted to us. 
Paul explains the spiritual wealth that we have been entrusted with in great detail here in his letter to the people of Ephesus. However, it is difficult to see and understand just how blessed we are in Christ Jesus when our life's focus is always on us and what will make us happy and what will make us fulfilled. If that is what we believe the meaning of life to be, we will never be fulfilled. We will never find what we're searching for. And I believe that this is why, this is one of the big reasons why so many people, including Christians, are just flat out miserable. They're blessed beyond measure, but, but yet they're miserable. They can't find happiness that they're searching for, and it's because they're always chasing the carrot dangling at the end of the stick. And our pursuit of this will cause us to jump from relationship to relationship. It causes us to jump from church to church and even job to job. And it will keep us from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus himself said he came to give, give us. Let me ask you a question. If When Jesus came to this earth, this earth we see that in the Gospels, his, his miracles on this earth, his life on this earth. What if he had this mentality? What if Jesus thought the meaning of life was to enjoy life, be satisfied, and then just one day die? I wonder what the, his ministry would have looked like if that was his thought process. Instead, we hear him say, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Luke chapter 2, we read a story when Jesus was only 12 years old, he's sitting in the temple, he's listening to the religious leaders teach. When his parents found him in the temple, his mother scolds him for causing her to worry. They couldn't find him. Jesus replies to her by saying this in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus understood the meaning of life. To Jesus, the meaning of life was not to enjoy life and be satisfied. Just do whatever makes you happy. And that's what most people think. To Jesus, the meaning of life was to accomplish what God had placed him on this earth to accomplish. It was to bring glory and praise to the Father. It was to make a difference in the life of, life of other people. Jesus understood the great spiritual wealth he had been given and he wanted to share it with others, not selfishly hide it under a, under a bowl all for his pleasure. So what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? I'm sure you've asked that question before. Well, the good thing is, is Paul actually answers that question here in the first 14 verses of Ephesians, and it's truly amazing. But I want to warn you, it's not something we like to hear. Before we unpack this great truth that Paul's trying to teach us, I do feel like it's important that we circle around, we kind of get off on a little trail here, and we talk about a false teaching that's been developed on this particular passage of Scripture here in Ephesians chapter 1. It's something that's called predestination. Maybe you have heard of it. For those that have not heard of it, basically the belief of predestination, and I want to address this because I have ran into many people that believe this, it's the belief that God chooses who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost, basically who's going to heaven and who's going to hell before they're ever born. So in other words, your decision to accept Christ or not accept Christ doesn't matter because it's not your decision anyway. Your fate was predestined before you were born. 
you, so you can live however you want, you can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter anyway. That's the predestination teaching. You'll find it's rooted in Calvinism. A lot of Presbyterian, uh, the Presbyterian church overall holds to this, and it's also the main teaching in a lot of Reformed churches as well. So it's a very common belief among a lot of people. And this would make sense why so many people believe the purpose of life is enjoyment and self-satisfaction. Because if it's all predetermined by God before you were born, then why does it matter? So we're going to get into the weeds for just a moment. I typically don't do this on a Sunday morning, but I feel like it's important because there might be some people in here that believe that, and I want to, I, I, I want to show you another side to this. So with this being said, let's look at verse 4 again here in Ephesians. It says, Paul says, even before he made the world, God loved us, chose us to be in Christ, to be holy without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. Now, those that last three words are important, through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, people who believe in this teaching of predestination, they're going to say, look, it clearly says right there that God chose before he made the world who was going to be saved. It says God decided in advance long before you and I were ever born. Okay, well, let's see what the rest of the Word of God says. Let's see if we can find something to help clarify this a bit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. This is the New King James translation here. Here's what it says. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Did you see that? It says we were redeemed not by corruptible things. You can't buy salvation, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, verse 20, he indeed, now he is Jesus. Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times who thought him, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now watch. It clearly says that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Foreordained comes from the Greek word prognoskou, and it means know beforehand, select in advance. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. The word in verse 5 that we see, advance, meaning decided in advance, comes from the Greek word porizio, and it means, now watch, it means know beforehand, Select in advance. These two words, although different, they have the same meaning in the original Greek. So Paul says in Ephesians that God decided in advance, or he predestined adoption of us to himself as sons through who? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one that was foreordained. Jesus was the one that was predestined. In other words, God decided in advance, should we fall into sin, what he was going to do to bring us back into his family. Jesus going to the cross was already set up and it was planned. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3 when, when we fell into sin. When we fell into sin, God already had a plan to redeem us. In other words, he decided in advance. This is what he tells the serpent. God tells the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, and I will cause hostility, this is after the fall, between you and the woman, the, the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, you will strike his heel. The offspring of woman would strike the head of the serpent, 
but the serpent would strike his heel. This was a reference of what was to come. This is what God had planned in advance to reconcile us back to him. This was a reference to the cross. Jesus was God's plan of redemption. Jesus was predestined. Jesus was selected in advance to make a way for all humanity to be saved. And our choice now is to accept the price he paid for our sin or reject it. God made a way for all humanity to return to him and the choice is ours. Will we accept the price of our sin and surrender our life to God or will we choose to pay the penalty of sin ourselves? All of us have to answer that question. Of course, the penalty of sin in the book of Romans is death. It's our choice. The price has been paid. We could go on to debate this further and do a whole message on it, but that's not the point of this message today. Hopefully by now, you have a better understanding of this false teaching. Basically, if you believe that, you are, that we are pre-selected before we're born or on where we will spend eternity, then, then basic, why does anything even matter? There basically is no meaning to life at that point. If that is the belief, we might as well just do whatever we want, whatever makes us happy at that point, and, and live however we want. It doesn't matter anyway. Do you see how now this all ties together? So let's move on. With that being said, the key to what Paul is trying to say is found here in, in verse 6. Let's read verse 5 and 6 again and then put it, start putting all this together. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Paul says that God adopts us into his family through Jesus Christ. The plan of, the plan of reconciliation was decided in advance by God before Jesus was even on the earth. Then at the start of verse 6, there is a conjunction word, so, meaning, therefore, so, or because of this, because of the adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God, we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out upon us. You see, in Roman law, when adoption was complete, the person who had been adopted had received all rights of a legitimate child of that new family, and they completely lost. All rights were severed from the previous family. In the eyes of the law, they became a brand new person. All of their debts, all of their obligations connected with their previous family were canceled, just as if they had never existed. And when we choose to become part of the family of God through Jesus, we become adopted, it says, Paul says, as a son or as a daughter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Why? Because it is an, it's an adoption. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We become a brand new person in the eyes of God. And this is to do what we see in verse 6. All of this has to do what we see in verse 6. To praise God. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us. You see, we have been created by God. Not just to enjoy life and find satisfaction. We have been created by God to praise him and to give him glory. And this is the foundational truth that we all need to understand. This truth changed my life. To miss this point is to miss the whole reason why I'm even on this earth. If I believe that I'm on this earth for my pleasure, I will never find the happiness that I, that I desire. Look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 9. Now watch this. Here's what it says. 
And whenever the living creatures, that includes all of us, give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, that's what we're created for, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down. Now, when we do this, this is what happens. 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And here's why. By your will, they existed and were created. Notice the last verse says, by your will, they existed and created. By your will, by God's will, you and I exist. We were created. We were created for this. This is the reason we are here. This is why I exist. This is the meaning of life. So what does by your will mean? The word will is translated from the Greek word thelima, and it means desire or plan. So when these 24 elders are worshiping God, they're saying, by your plan, for this reason, they, were, they exist and were created. So now we see, putting all of this together, that we exist or we were created to praise God and give Him glory. This is the meaning of life, and true fulfillment, true happiness can only be found by praising God and giving Him glory. Because that's what we've been created for. You will not find it anywhere else. I was not put on this earth to chase after things and bring myself pleasure. The world tells you that's how you will find happiness. But if you've been alive long enough, you know that's a lie. I was put on this earth to bring God pleasure, to give God glory. And that's what Paul is trying to relay to us. It's a very foundational truth. According to scripture, I exist to bring glory to God. I exist to please my Father in heaven to do what He wants me to do. Now, this truth really bugs some of us. We don't like to hear this. We like to think that the world revolves around us. And so we like to, this isn't what my itching ears want to hear today. I, I don't like to hear this. I don't like to hear that the purpose of my life is, is to see, not, not seek after things that are pleasing to me. But the result of chasing after these things I desire is I never find the one true thing I'm searching for. True happiness and fulfillment. Philosopher Eric Hoffer wrote, the search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. Our search, our pursuit of happiness always seems to be a little bit beyond our reach. It's always a little bit difficult to grab a hold of. Happiness, we say, it'll be in the next relationship. Happy, I'll find my happiness in the next marriage. I'll find my happiness in the next experience. I'll find my happiness in the next thing I own. If I would just buy that and I would own that, I would be happy. Happiness will be in the next accomplishment. If I just get that degree, if I just accomplish this, then I will be happy. And we chase, and we chase, and we chase. And God says, I did not create you for that. That is why you are always empty instead of experiencing the fulfillment that I desire for you. I created you to praise me and bring me glory. And you will only find true happiness there. For example, we say things like, 
If I get married, I'll be happy. So we get married. Then after a few years, we start to say, you know, I don't really like this Yehu anymore. I don't really like him. I'm not happy anymore. And uh, God wants me to be happy. God never designed for the person you're married to to make you happy. If you're looking for your happiness in the person you're married to, the person you're married to, you will always be disappointed. It's not found in them, it's found in him. And until you root yourself and you anchor yourself in that, you will always be miserable. So they're not making me happy anymore. I'm just going to divorce them because then I'll be happy. I'll be happy if I get a divorce. Or <laughs> I think if I just had some children, I'd be happy. <laughs> Amen. But then after the kids come along, it turns to if I could just get rid of these kids, I would be happy. I need to do this. I need to do that. I think an affair would make me happy. I think doing this over here would make me happy. And God is shouting, I did not create you for that. You keep searching for the thing you desire in the wrong places, and it can only be found in me. You see, when we seek to fulfill the purpose that God created us for, which is to glorify Him, to anchor Him, we find true happiness. And at that point, it doesn't matter what's going on around us because our anchor is in Him. And so we can go through some stuff in life and we can go through some tragedy in life and it will not shake us because we don't have our happiness and our purpose there. We have it in Him. It changes everything. It changes everything. You see, we don't, when we begin to do what God's created us for, which is to glorify Him, to honor Him, we will find true happiness, not just from seeking it, because it, when we seek it, it's now because our life is in proper balance. We're doing what He's created us for. Psalm chapter 4, 144 and verse 15 says, Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. It's my life. I can do whatever I want. A lot of Christians say that. Not according to this. According to this says, you're not your own. You belong to Christ. You were bought with a price, a pretty big price. So, glorify God in your body. That doesn't sound like do whatever makes me happy, does it? <laughs> you were created by God to praise Him and bring Him glory. And I can't make you do this, but I'm telling you, you will not find happiness or fulfillment anywhere else until you, until you do this. This means whatever I do in life, my goal and my aim should be to seek God and glorify God in it and through it. It might be academics, it might be sports, it might be business, it might be marriage, it might be raising kids, whatever it is. Do it in such a way to bring glory to the God who made you. You can serve God in whatever capacity he's called you to. You don't have to be a pastor. 
You don't have to be a missionary, and you don't have to be in full-time ministry. Some people have this thought that I can only serve God if I'm in full-time ministry. That's not true. You can glorify God as a construction worker. You can glorify God in the medical field. You can glorify God if you're playing professional sports. You can glorify Him if you're doing graphic design. You can glorify Him by running the camera. You can glorify Him through feeding people. Whatever it is, you can bring glory and honor to Him, and in doing so, you will find the fulfillment that you're searching for. The truth is, God does not call everybody to full-time ministry. It would be a rough place if everybody was pastors. I'd probably jump off a bridge if everybody was a pastor. I don't know. Because pastors kind of irritate me a bit. (laughs) You don't have to be in full-time ministry to praise Him and glorify Him with your life. Let's just say you're having some car problems. Who are you going to talk to? Are you going to go up to the pastor? Hey, pastor, I'm having some car problems here. Can you fix it for me? (laughs) I'm going to say you don't want me under that hood. Of course you don't want to talk to a pastor. You want, what you need is an honest Christian mechanic that lives their life to glorify God because you have, no, you have no clue what's going on underneath the hood. They, in their profession, through what they are doing, they bring glory to God by fixing cars, keeping us on the road, and they do it with integrity and they do it with honesty. That's honoring God in what you're doing. And that is where you will find the fulfillment that you're looking for. What if you get sick? Are you going to go to the car mechanic if you get sick? Of course not. You're going to go find a good doctor that is using their life to glorify God. They bring glory to God by helping people that are ill and they do it with honesty and they do it with integrity. What if you need tax help? You're going to go to the doctor? Of course not. You're going to go find an accountant. I think you see where I'm going with this. You see, your mission is in whatever you do to bring glory and honor to God. It doesn't matter if you're performing a brain surgery. It doesn't matter if you're cleaning cars. It doesn't matter if you're bagging groceries or balancing a checkbook. You do so for the glory of God. And when you do, you will find true fulfillment and happiness, what we're all searching for. You will find the true meaning of life and find that fulfillment. Because you're not doing it for man, you're doing it for him, and you're anchored and rooted in him. Is this making sense? This is a, this is a, it's a tough foundational truth today. I'm going to wrap this up. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, are you going to receive it from the human master? Are you going to, you're going to receive it from man? No, it says you're going to receive the inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You make food at the local fast food restaurant, make that food as if Jesus is going to eat what you're making. This is my thought process. When I'm scrubbing spots out of the carpet, <laughs> that's what I try to keep in mind. Am I perfect? No. This is, a, this is a tough truth. But God, I'm doing this for you. No one sees it. No one cares. I'm doing this for you. You see it, God. That's all that's important. I'm doing it for you. And that's where I want to stay grounded. You clean cars or houses, do it as if that car or house belongs to the Lord. This kind of makes you look at your job a little bit differently. Rather than doing as little as I can to get by and collect a paycheck and get out of there, it shifts our perspective 
and we leave jobs because, oh, my, my employer isn't being nice to me. And I'm like, but if your focus is here instead of here, you're able to weather this better. Balance any checkbook. Do, balance that checkbook as if it were God's checkbook. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord. You will get discouraged really fast if, you are, if your desire is the praise of man. Ten times out of ten, guaranteed every time. You will get discouraged if your prime motivation is you're trying to find fulfillment in life, you're trying to find happiness, is through man coming along and patting you on the shoulder because man will fail you every time. But if you truly do it for the Lord... You won't need the praise of man because you have already found what you're looking for. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Can I have you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I just want to thank you for this truth. It's a foundation truth, kind of into the weeds message. But Lord, it is so important. And I believe there's people in here that needed to hear this today. And when they walk out of this place, they're going to look at life a bit differently. Rather than playing the victim and, and, and always feel like that's the world is against them, they're going to shift their focus and they're going to begin to praise you and glorify you in all that they do. And the result of that will be that they will truly find what they're looking for because this is what you have created us to do. And so, Father, today I just ask for those, Lord, that this wouldn't be another message that we just walk out of here and say, ah, great message and forget about it. This would be a message that, that God changes our life. This would be a truth that, that every day this week, God, that would come back to us. And when we're doing a task that we feel like is unfair or we don't want to do, that we would turn our eyes heavenward and we would say, I'm going to do this for you, God. I'm going to do it with a good attitude because I'm not serving man, I'm serving you. And I want to glorify you through what I'm doing right now. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your truth today that has the power to change our lives. In Jesus' name.